The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. And our scripture for this morning, we are in Romans 12, 9 through 21. It says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thanks, George. No, she said if any of the... We're going to open up Bennett Hall for the kids if they get tired of hearing me preach, but I'm sure some of you adults would love a room like that too, huh? Um, no, hi. It's good to see you again. My name is Stacy Croft, and um, I said this earlier, I'm the pastor here, and I would love to get to know you better. Um, if there are moments, I have emails in the air with people right now trying to get together, whether by Zoom or in person at... Um, and safely distanced, but I would love to get to know you uh, if I haven't already met you or gotten to know you and hear your story uh, and what it's like to be you and uh, tell you more about our church and, and who I am and what we're doing here. And So please reach out to me. You can find my email on the website or uh, just grab me or afterwards or something like that. I'd love to, love to get to know you better. You know, um, and this is really, as I was thinking about this, even this uh, article by him. I was thinking, God, how perfect that we're meeting outdoors. I don't know if you've ever been to England and uh, walked in uh, well, the Welsh countryside or anything like that. Maybe you've gone abroad or something, but um, I was able to do that some years ago. And um, one of the, the articles that was written, uh, it's an essay by C.S. Lewis, it's called Meditations in a Tool Shed. And if you go to the Welsh countryside, you can see where he used to walk and things like that. But this this uh, one essay, it's written in his collection called God in the Dock, and maybe you've heard this, uh, or read it before, or heard someone talk about it before. Uh, it's an incredible essay because it's, it's probably not talked about as much, but it talks about him walking in the grounds. And if you're there, I mean, gosh, we get to have this beautiful setting. It kind of, there's some English look to this, but um, it, it talks about him walking on the grounds of um, his grounds and in, through the garden and such, and one day he saw this shed, and he, you know, as he walked, I don't know if you do this, you walk and maybe just think. Uh, we've done a lot of that probably through the pandemic. Um, but you, he, he went to this, he saw this like tool shed itself, and he, he went inside of it, and as the door kind of with the springs on it cl- closed, 
He noticed through some of the cracks in the door, the sunlight, the beams coming through. Almost like you could probably see him coming through the, this tree here. And as he kind of stood in the in the shed and looked at this beam, he he looked around. He saw everything around it, and he said he just kind of kind of took it in. He was like looking at the beam with all the dust kind of floating through it, right? And he was just taking it. It's very C.S. Lewis esque, you know. Just how what, what what can I observe, right? I mean, we all should be quiet observers. Listen, look, right? Then he he says he stepped in where the beam fell on his eyes. So where the crack in the door was and the beam hit him right in the eyes. And he said right when he did that everything around him just went dark. And all he could see was through this crack, these tree branches waving in the distance. He said the sun, 93 million miles away. And he took it in and he was thinking, man, everything. He said, to himself, you know, there's a real difference in looking at the beam and along the beam. He said, when you look at the beam, you can study it, you can talk about it, you can talk about its properties, you can see like the, the light, the dust falling through it, you can, you can think about what's there, but when you're looking along the beam, it's to experience it, it's to really take it in. He said, it's a lot like love. He says, one thing to talk about love, right? Uh, that's love, this is love, no, 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 and talk about it. It's another thing to let it fall on you and to experience it and to be overwhelmed by it. And everything else around you goes dark because you're looking right along it. You know, when we look at this, as we kind of finish our series today, one of the things I think we need to think about is what kind of a witness we're going to be as a church. You know, it's one thing for people to talk about the church and for us to talk about grace and love. I mean, there are a lot of great things in this passage, It's a very great passage, but it's another thing to experience it. In fact, the first, this is from chapter 12 in a book called Romans, which if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, Romans is a massive theological treatise. I mean, if you read it, the first 11 chapters are like, like if you want to understand or read theology, take those first 11 chapters. But right at chapter 12, he he takes a turn, and he does this a lot. Paul, who's the author of Romans, he takes a turn. The first 11 chapters are what are called the indicative. In other words, it means these are the facts of who we are in Jesus. This is what it is. This is what it means to look at it. Let's talk about it. But then he moves to 12 and so forth, where he says, we're going to look at what it means to live along it. That's all we, we could talk about Jesus and the great theology and what he's done all we want, but until we actually look along it and experience it and let others experience it, then what, what is the point of Christianity? You know, this, is, this is where we need to, this is where we, need, we, need, we really need to wrap it up, right? It'd be one thing to talk about that, but what is it really going to look for us to be the church and to be a witness, post-election. We're all tired. We don't need to have a bunch of new illustrations about elections and politics and government and all that. You know what we need? We need to be encouraged about what the gospel does in us. We just sang a song, Hosanna in the highest. Teach me to love like you love me. You want my sermon? There it is. How do we love? Because we have been so loved. In the midst of all the hurt, all the disappointment, all the joy, this, this passage is perfect. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. How do, in the world do we do that when we struggle? We do it through just mustering it up. or being, We can only do it if we move from who we are looking at the beam 
of who we are in Jesus to looking along at and experiencing that love now. So we're going to look at two things from this passage. Two things. What does the witness look like inside the church and what does it look like outside? Just two things. What is the witness of that expression of the gospel being loved by Christ look like in the church and what does it look like outside of it? So how do we live inside of it? <clears throat> Passage begins, verse 9, let love be genuine and abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. How do we love one another? There's an Atlantic article uh, some time ago, one of you actually sent it to me, about the relationship between identity and community and how much that has changed over the years. It said this, it was really interesting. It said, it used to be that people were born a part of a community and had to find their place as individuals. Now people are born as individuals and have to find their community. It's interesting, where does the church fit into that? Because you can see both. Some people have been born into the church, into a church culture, and have pushed away from it. Some people, some of you have, may have come into the church. Maybe this is your first time back or first time into a church because you didn't really grow up in that community. <clears throat> the church itself is based on something totally different. It's based on a genuine love that is deeper and more profound. And I think it's easy, and I was just listening to one of my favorite... Um, uh, friends and pastors, uh, Brian Habig, talk about this. What does it mean to be a church in the South? He was talking about the difference between genuine love and niceness. <laughs> now, and it's great to live in the South, right? I mean, there, there are some things about living in the South that are wonderful. There's a nicety to it. Some of you may have moved to the South and you're like, whoa, this is a little over the top. You never know when people are being real with you. But what, some of the things that he brought up that I really appreciated, he said... There's a difference between this genuine love and niceness. Niceness, and you know it's different. Genuine love is, is gen different than niceness because niceness, when niceness is not met with other niceness, it really throws you off. <laughs> There's this hospi southern hospitality that can be met and you're like, oh, whoa, I'm not. He also said, I love how he uses this. He said that niceness is very thin-skinned. It means when someone's not nice back, it means you take a record of it, your niceness does, and you kind of start pushing that person away. Kind of like hold them at arm's length, but you're still nice to them when you see them. Instagram and those social media outlets have allowed us to like, like or not like people based on or unfollow or follow people. It helps us. It's the most passive. Talk about anything that is the mo that's created more passive aggression in our country. Whether you're a passive aggressive person or not, that is passive aggressive. That's niceness. Genuine love, though. Genuine love is different. He even says, it says, outdo one another in showing honor. It means that you actually consider, it means you're holding someone up. You actually see them as better than yourself. You're not just treating them, trying to show this kind of fakeness to them. You're actually genuinely showing them this. And we get so used to this, like on Amazon and using those kind of things. You go on Amazon or, or those kind of things, and, and you look for a product that you want, but you're always evaluating what? You're evaluating what's the best product I can get for the best cost, and then can I prime it, of course, right? We're always evaluating what's the most genuine product, but what's it going to cost me? See, Christianity does something opposite of that. It says, you got to show the most genuine because you have received everything that someone did not hold back any cost for. 
This is why we sing Hosanna in the highest, because it says, how do we love, our love is to look so much different than any other love. It's not just a feeling that comes and goes. It's not just a, oh, you, you feel this way, or you are like me, or you're in this way. It comes from a place where someone who didn't agree with us still loves us. Even here it says, it's does, <clears throat> don't grow, in verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal. Here's an interesting thing that he's saying. Do not be slothful. Actually, it's a military term, what he's saying. Of people who go into battle and they begin to lose heart because of, of the war. And if there's anything that we can feel, and I, I would say there, there are a couple things from that we need to think about. If we are losing heart, one thing, and I, look, how easy it, I just we just got as I said we got given um, we were given a, a stack of napkins that you know that go in a, in a bathroom as a gift and it said 2020 on it and it had you know the five stars at the bottom and it just had a half star it was like 2020 gets half star if there's any place or moment in our history right now where we feel like we've lost heart or we're exhausted it is right now and if there's any place where we need to know, where do we really need to fight? Where, where do we really need to push forward? Where do we really not? It's in that battle of genuine love. And it means if we're losing heart, we may be battling in the wrong direction. We may be battling over things that aren't of a kingdom that will last. And secondly, we need to know the battle's already won. See, genuine love doesn't come from a place where we feel like, this isn't a pep talk of, hey, are we as a church going to love people and be different? No, we're not. Every one of you and me and sitting at home feel the exhaustion, feel every part of the division, all of the stuff we saw on the map this week, every bit of it. And every one of you feels differently about what happened. And we are not going to love one another well if we just look at it and go, okay, I just need to move on. Or I just need it. Look, I'm a Christian. I need to I muster it up and show. No, 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 no. Until we go, where does genuine love come from? Where's the cost come from in order for me to know that love is the real thing? Isn't that what genuine is? It's not hip, hip, hypocritical. It's not pretense. It's the real thing. The only place we know where that came from is through Jesus. That is our fastball. That is our linchpin. That is the key. Think about it. Do you think Jesus agreed with anything? <laughs> that the, his first century followers and even enemies or 21st century followers and enemies in order to save us, in order to love us, was agreement a part of his love for us? No. It's in spite of what he didn't see that was right, that he pressed in and he loved. See, the kingdom of God is, is harder to measure than it can be in government, politics, or those kind of things. And even anything else, vocation, you could, you could supply that anywhere else, right? It's, it's harder to measure than maybe our vocations, where we, where we put into a job and what we get out of it, Right? Because with the kingdom of God, this is what Jesus said over and over. He said, there, it's like a mustard seed. What is a mustard seed? It's this teeny thing that goes in the ground and you have to wait. You don't have any control over how big it's, how, how much it grows, how fast. God is doing that work. And how do we lean into that? 
How do we look for genuine love in the long game, not the short game, of what God is doing? And he says it in this way. He says being genuine means, <clears throat> it means we are connected first with outward needs. Look, look what it says in verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. If we want to show what it means to look along the beam at genuine love, that genuine love can't be us just tolerating each other or caring. It actually means we need to lean in and see what the actual needs are of one another. I read a, a, I read a story um, of something of some time back when a, when a hurricane hit South Florida and a woman's home was severely damaged. And she was an elderly woman at the time. She received insurance settlement to, to rebuild her house and their contractors that came in. But soon the money ran out, and so did the contractor. And her home was left unfinished without electricity. Her name was Norina. And she'd been living without power. The astounding part of the story was it was not Hurricane Katrina, it was Andrew. So Hurricane Andrew struck in 92... This woman had been living in, in without power for 15 years. So no heat when the winter chill settled over South Florida. No air conditioning when the mercury climbed into the 90s and the humidity clung to 100%. Not one hot shower. Without money or repairs, she had a small lamp and a single burner to keep it. And it wasn't until... Uh, it said this, her neighbors didn't seem to notice the absence of power. Acting on a tip, the mayor of Miami-Dade got involved and it only took a few hours of electrical work to bring back power to the house. And you know what was so astounding to me about this story? Not just the 15 years. It was the 15 years that her neighbors had not even noticed that she did not have power. Maybe didn't even take time to ask. I, I do wonder often... In a, in a crowd like ours, or maybe in our culture today, how much we actually know the needs of those around us? Or press in, or even ask? Or even let our needs be known? Are there things going on in the lives of those around us? Look, people are looking into the church and saying, what's the difference between the church and outside the church? Is anybody taking care of the needs? Are we showing that, that, that we're contributing? This means tangibly to the needs of each other, that we see and we are honest with one another about what we actually need and, don't, and, and maybe don't have. Or do we overlook, do we miss it, even by years, of what we actually need? And look, there's a lot of needs right now. We, can, we cannot begin to skip over in niceness that, oh, I'm doing okay. I mean, we could all use that phrase, I'm doing okay. I mean, I want to do it. Because we don't want to be seen as the person who's needy and feel like we need to lean in and love one another well. If we're going to show what it means to live along the beam as much as looking at it, we can talk about contributing to the needs and all the passages in the scriptures that talk about giving to one another. But until we experience it, that is grace. How do we know how to love one another and our needs if we don't know our actual need of the King of Heaven who gave us everything? In grace. We need 
need to help and lean into one another. And not just outward needs, but inward needs. Look at verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Look, inevitably, in some group, in some moment, you're going to sit with somebody who's going to make a comment, maybe politically or otherwise, that's going to make you uncomfortable. It may have already happened. There are going to be moments like that. Maybe even this morning it happened. Whether it's about a candidate, voting, whatever it may be. And my question for us is, what is your response? What does your heart do in those moments? Does it quickly begin to say, oh, I need to start building up walls? Does it quickly kind of lean in and go, yeah, 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 yeah. Do we throw in our own quick opinion or do we actually sit back and know what what it really means is to have empathy? It's not just outward needs, but what are the inward needs of those around us? Empathy isn't just fixing it. It's weeping with those who are actually weeping over what's going on right now and rejoicing with those who may be rejoicing right now, which may be hard to do either one of those for you. I'm not sure where any of you land on that. But if we aren't able to step back and and say, instead of me trying to tell them what it's like to be me, what if I learn what it's like to be them? That's empathy. The number one person in the world that was only able to do that was Jesus, right? I mean, that's an easy one to drop. Oh, Jesus did it. (laughs) We're not Jesus, right? But the way the church learns to encourage people, not just talk about the beam, but experience it, is for us to set aside, not just whether we agree with the person, not just whether we think it's right or not, but listening and learning where they are. Because we have a God who tried it on for us. Empathy means that we have a God actually who took on the flesh that we have and experienced the rejection and the joy that we experience in order that we may be saved in that. And it gives us freedom to weep and it gives us freedom to rejoice. But it also says, as Christians, we need to hold that intention and say, yes, it is okay for you to have whatever feeling you have about what is going on. But it also means what is above that to where when you sit with someone who may or may not be in the same place, are you able to weep with them or rejoice with them? Because needless to say, it's gonna happen in a group or in a place. And maybe you've avoided it till now. Maybe you've been around people that only talk and and think as you do. I would encourage you not to. Put yourself in the position and put your finger on the pulse and say, what do I know most about genuine love? That it meets the outward and inward need. That we really have. Praise be to God that he didn't agree with us in order to save us. They didn't come because we thought like him or we walk like him. There hasn't been a savior more different than you and me that has come to save us. <laughs> we have nothing in common with Jesus other than he was in flesh, he had a job, and he walked on this earth. And yet he comes to save you. 
This is what we need to experience within the walls of the church so that this is what it means to live inside. What does it mean to show this witness outside? We're supposed to show what things should be. Look at verse 17 and 18. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. There it is twice. Anytime the Bible uses a superlative, you kind of go, oh man, all. That's what it means. It's not saying some, it's not, you know, trying to, oh, in the Greek, it means just these people. All means all here. Live in the sight of all. It means people are looking in. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe this is your opportunity. Maybe this is your first time to this church or a church. I hope there is, maybe online or here in person. And you're asking the questions, okay, what does this look like? That's genuine love inside the church. What does it mean for the church to live in the sight of all? Many sociologists will talk about religion and its contribution to societies, especially now. What does it mean for us to do that? There's social capital that helps. What religion can do is bring social capital that helps deep trust in economics and helps build so that things that helps things move forward. It helps relationships build so that things work more smoothly and, uh, <clears throat> and together. But here's what Christianity did in the first century, though, that was interesting. It didn't just create a social capital. It did, but it also created something where it, it helped the economy, it helped everything going on outside in the sight of all, but it didn't lend itself to worship what that was. In other words, it addressed the needs around them of the city, of the government, of the world. And yet every time they asked, hey, will you, will you syncretize your heart to what we worship? It was no. Well, the reason this comes from is because where does the deepest love come from? Christianity was created in a diff- with, a social, with a different social capital because Jesus came and did what he did in a different way. So when those outside the church brushed up against, both in the first century, and it should be now in the 21st century, brushed up against the church and what it was doing and its purpose in the city, they couldn't help but experience a love that was different. That even if those Christians were missed, and they were often missed, and it's hard to be missed when you are in a conversation with somebody and they don't get you and you feel missed and you're like, you're trying to get back on track and they just don't seem to connect. There are statement after statement after statement of, of emperors and uh, 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 Roman officials saying, I just don't get these Christians. They share their homes with everyone. They share their beds with none. They give their money to people that they don't know that are in pain and yet we don't. And they were, they were what? They were putting burning coals, as it says here, on the head of even the government itself because they were showing, hey, this is what a true family looks like. This is what true relationship looks like. This is what genuine love looks like. Not just to keep things running smoothly, but to love one another. See, whereas so many places we can over-identify, maybe 
politics, may it be something else. We can over-identify or under-identify with something else. Just like looking at this tree, if, if this tree had a few branches, you can see trees like this around probably, even on this campus. If some of the branches go out in one direction, what does it do? It causes the tree to begin to bend this way and unhealthily grow and even re retain and, and take in the nutrients that it's supposed to have. So what it needs to happen, the tree needs to be pruned. Things on it need to be shaped to go upward. When we over-identify or under-identify, be it with politics, and some of us can, some of us can do both, right? Or anything else in our, in our lives, we can begin to grow unhealthily in our relationship with the Lord and others. And what we need to do as a church is we're constantly looking back, not to what's the most helpful thing, but who is the one who has come to change us? How we live outside the church is because of the one who's come to us and called us the church. And that means we show hurt differently and we show good differently. Verse 19 says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave, to, leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine. Now when you start talking about that, it's like, uh, okay. But look, if anger is anywhere out there, and if there's vengeance and wrath that the Bible talks about, it says, we show her that one of the biggest places we as the church can show the reality of the true kingdom of God is the way we show hurt. The way we, re we don't retaliate when we're wronged. How are you wrong? So everyone here has grown up or now has some sort of a group that helps you or maybe even a person that helps you process what it's like to be wronged. Something that has taught you that or continues to. And no matter what it is, and, and, and the question is, what, how has that helped you process that? To avoid? Have a group to bash that person, place, thing, whatever it is, and to do that on the outside and show the niceties on the inside? How do you process that? Because the what this is saying is the Bible is to help us. It's not just to cover it up. I think a lot of times we think Christianity means we get nicer. This is why I was talking about niceties. It actually means we address how we're hurt. It doesn't mean you put yourself in a position to be hurt again. Notice that. Verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends, live peaceably with all. If possible. It doesn't mean you put yourself in an unwise position to be harmed again. But it does mean that you lean into and towards those who you would even consider your enemies. And that means enemies that have actually harmed us um, face to face or enemies we see on a screen. Or those we would deem enemies because they aren't on the same page as us. Because the difference in the church and anything else is that we haven't just talked about the beam. We haven't just talked about what it lights up. We actually have had a God who comes to, for us to experience that love. The grace that enters into our hearts and lives so that he experiences that. Miroslav Volf, who, if you've heard that name, he was a Croatian Christian who experienced incredible atrocities uh, by the, even the government towards his family and others that he knew. You can look him up. Uh, lots of, he's spoken, he's written great books. He speaks primarily on injustice. 
And he talks about the, how the wrath of God and God's vengeance itself has brought more healing and more grace into his life than less. And that's actually what it should produce. Here, listen to what he says. Inscribed on the very heart of God's grace is the rule that we can be its recipients only if we do not resist being made into its agents. What happens to us must be done by us. We who have been embraced by the outstretched arms of the crucified God open our arms even for the enemies so that together we may rejoice in the eternal embrace of a triune God. See, if, if grace is really what it is, it's the moment when you hit that point of going, I need him so bad. It's the point of you, instead of looking out at the person who is the fixture of anger or lack of trust or disunity. Instead, it's looking and saying, I'm as, and more so, needful than that person because of what God is actually saying to us, that he leans in and we show good differently. It's not just negative, it's positive. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. You know what this table is? It's a table where the one who could easily consider us enemies gives us something to eat. See, none of us here have any credit to come to this table other than the one who set the table invites us. You know the word hospitality here when it says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Hospitality wasn't what you did for friends. It actually, hospitality in definition, in the Greek means what you did for strangers. that this God took every one of us who were estranged from him, both in that moment and in time looking forward to us and said, come and eat. You who were once my enemies now will be made friends. My first century enemies and my 21st century enemies are now friends because of this meal. And because of this table, it shows what God has done in that. And when you taste this table, you're tasting a reality that isn't something that you and I can, can just muster up. This is a tangible reminder of the truth that there is no way genuine love can be just forced in you. It has to be given to you. This is looking along the... You can look at this table... And we can talk about it all we want, but until you actually taste and see and look along it and experience the grace of the Lord God, the, king, the true king of heaven, that doesn't just serve four years, that serves far more and has in the past, then you will sit with both being able to weep and rejoice with the God who has wept and rejoiced with you. Praise be to God for this table. Praise be to God for his truth in Jesus Christ. We're going to read together a prayer for peace.